The question is, are you washed in the blood? I love that song. Folks, you don't know what a joy it is for Alvira and I to be back home again. It's just so good to be here. Relationships that we have with so many of you, those relationships are eternal. They're everlasting. They're never going to go away. You know what the great thing is? We're going to be in eternity together, praising the Lord with all our hearts. That's exciting. I just want to thank Matthew and the elders here for the privilege and the honor of being able to come and just share scripture with you this morning. I want to start off in Psalm 20 verse 5. It simply says, shout for joy over your salvation. Colossians 1.13 tells us why. For He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. If you are washed in the blood this morning, you have been taken from the kingdom of darkness and you have been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. And that kingdom is an eternal kingdom for glory for all eternity. Alvira and I were reading the other day in Thessalonians, and we read the following. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. Can you imagine the symphony that that's going to to be? And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What a time! If you're washed in the blood, that's where we're going. We're going to meet Him in the air with all the other saints. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And Paul goes on to say, Therefore comfort one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. And as you've come in this morning, I trust that there is joy in your heart, knowing that God's promises are eternal. There's a hope in your heart, knowing that there's a time coming when we're all going to meet in the clouds with the air. And folks, the way the world's going today, it's going to be pretty soon, I reckon. I I think I've been saying that for a thousand years, but anyway. (laughs) Isn't it a pleasure to meet people who are full of joy? Not happy, not miserable, but full of joy. They're the kind of people that attract you to them. It draws you to them. And now let us just consider for a moment the Rugby World Cup. (laughs) I know it's not pretty good, but (laughs) the Rugby World Cup. It's got nothing to do with me being from South Africa. Nothing. (laughs) You heard the commentators say throughout the tournament that one of the key ingredients for the best teams was fitness. And that fitness was the foundation for success. Skill without fitness won't win games. The whole point is to win the prize. That's why they went to the World Cup. They wanted that trophy at the end. And folks, as a Christian, it is no different. We need fitness if we are going to press through to our final goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus from Philippians 3.14. It's an upward call of our Savior. That's the price. That's what we're aiming at. So what is Christian fitness? Well, the main ingredients here are time and eternity. Every one of us are on earth in this time. And the time that we have here on earth is pretty short. The decisions and the way we conduct ourselves and a whole lot of other stuff that we do determines 
somewhat what's coming in eternity. Now I want you to think of a time in your life as an unbeliever when you experienced the most joy. How long did it last? A week? Probably not. A day? Possibly. A few hours? Probably. And in some cases not more than one hour. And then you return to the routine of life with all its issues and complications. Now, I can remember such a time in my own life as a young teenager being so full of excitement and joy as my family was about to enter our lounge on Christmas morning. And my brother and I had these great expectations as to what presents we would get. (laughs) I put my order in with mom and dad for a bicycle, some golf clubs, and an electric train, thinking that if I shoot for the stars, I would receive at least one of them. And I knew at that point it was impossible for them to give us all those things. But you can imagine the bubbling excitement within us, motivated by the anticipation of the next few minutes. On entering the room, there and my bubbles burst in disappointment as we saw none of these things under the Christmas tree, but only some small presents, which mostly was for our sister. We were both given an envelope with a Merry Christmas card from Mom and Dad. And downcast and in our distress and unbelief, we failed to read the small print which said, Go around the corner into the dining room. (laughs) Here we were, faces down, but then noticing the grins on our parents' faces, we knew something was afoot. And examining the cards again, we notice the small print. Wow, our hearts ablaze with excitement. We shot into the adjoining room to find an electric train laid out on the ping pong table and the the engine towing all these trucks all the way around on the circuit. And when I looked around the room, there were two golf clubs standing up against the wall, the exact ones I needed to make my set complete. And under the table, tennis table, were two bicycles, one for each of us. How did that happen? Our relatives and our close friends of the family clubbed together with my parents to buy us those presents. Well, you can imagine the volcano in our hearts erupted in explosive joy of the moment. Look at what we've got. Christmas, wonderful. But this joy soon wore off as we found out that the bicycle riding can be hard work. (laughs) That hitting the golf ball can be very frustrating. And putting up train tracks and taking them down time and time again was a tedious affair, hardly justifying the effort. So the future anticipation and ongoing joy that we had soon faded away, and now we searched for something else to rejoice in and bring pleasure. What about the joy and anticipation you feel when you've booked accommodation for a much-needed restful holiday? And this joy and excitement dissolves into frustration, irritation, and total disappointment when the place you have booked is next to the car park where jackhammers are going all day. Or you've selected a special hotel and you've booked a prime room. You move in to find out that they are renovating all the rooms around you and there's just dust and noise the whole time. Or you've booked a batch on the beach and you arrive and there's a main noisy road right behind you. That quiet, restful holiday just gone up in smoke. Funnily enough, it's happened to Alvira and I about three or four times. Exactly that. And you see this kind of joy also play out frequently when watching sport. A gold medalist in the Olympic or Commonwealth Games having won a race. You see this on TV so much. They burst into tears with overwhelming joy. Or you watch the Rugby World Cup or the Soccer World Cup and the winners and their fans are jumping all over each other after the final. 
as they cannot, cannot control the joy that bursts forth from within them. The point is that this was and is temporal joy, which has no foundation. And in most of these cases, the joy is motivated by the anticipation of what you have planned or in the sport arena, the fact that they have beaten the opposition, they are now on top. They are now the best. They are now on top of the pile. We are great. Look at us. And that's exactly what the fans do. We identify with that team or we identify with that person. That's us. That's who we support. This kind of fleeting joy is found in a world of unbelieving humanity. It is temporal. It is anticipatory joy which soon disappears. Or it may be people trying to make their mark in life. And they are filled with momentary joy because of favorable and positive circumstances. And in reality, they have nothing to look forward to except the certainty of death when all their achievements and all their joy fade into non-existence. Now, King David speaks to the Lord in Psalm 5. And he speaks about those who have rebelled against him. And when... And then about those who love and trust him. So he speaks about two different classes of people here. And I want you to note the contrast. In Psalm 5, this is what David says in verses 9 through 11. He brings up those who've rebelled against God first. And he said, pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against you. They are the rebellious. They are those that do not want to know the living almighty God. They are in a hopeless situation. They are in a desperate place. And he contrasts those, in the balance of that, with, But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. There's the difference. There's a rejoicing in the hearts of those who trust God. There's a joy that fills them because they trust the Almighty God. I was trying to think of some songs the other day before Christmas, noting that at Christmas time there's a, a number of bands that sing about joy. It seems to be a, a thing that the world is looking for, especially at this time of the year. And I came up with some secular song and I, I, I started singing it only to realize that, oh, good grief, that the words of the song are absolutely terrible and they have no understanding what kind of joy they're singing about. And then I came up with joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive a king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing. That's the joy that is real. Why? Because the Savior came to earth. And those who have received the Savior know a joy in their hearts that the world does not know. So with this introduction, we now want to look at true joy, which is eternal and reigns in our hearts as believers. True joy that is our fitness to live the Christian life. We're going to get, have a look at James chapter 1. It's going to look at a, just a couple of verses. In James chapter 1, verse 1 starts off with, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. James here was the brother of Jesus. He was the pastor and the lead elder in the Jerusalem church. And the disciples and apostles would come to him for counsel. He was a man of righteousness, a man of authority. And in the very opening verse, he evidences his humility by claiming to be a servant, a doulos, a slave of the Lord God and Christ. In other words, he was one who has no rights and he sends his greetings as he begins his letter. He sends his greetings to God's people. And James was no stranger to suffering. 
And he discusses in his epistle many aspects of the Christian life. And interestingly, he begins here with joy. Verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. James, what are you saying? Are you crazy? Trials and joy don't go together. No, they don't. But that's not what he is saying. If you look at the word there, count, or in some Bibles it might be consider, that word is key. And it is saying that when you see trials, when you see testing coming, when you see a, a brand of suffering that might be coming, form an opinion and make a conscious decision here in your mind. To choose a biblical view of this trial or of this difficulty, which means you have to view it all as joy. That's what the Bible says. What? When God feels millions of kilometers away, you cry out like Asaph did. The psalmist in Psalm 77. And look at verses 2 and 9. This is what Asaph said. In the day of my trouble... I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His tender mercies? Asaph in great tribulation, pleading with God. In essence, what is he saying? Where are you, God? And I'm sure most of us have been in a time of real down, real tribulation, most big trials or whatever you're going through or suffering. And there are times when you've just got, God, where are you? I need you now. Help. Please help. A right understanding of the God-ordained purpose for this trial, for this tragedy, or for this tribulation in your life should stir your heart to rejoice. Because what that trial or what that tribulation is doing is it's pushing you into the Word. Lord, help me. Let me read. Let me, let me get some encouragement from your Word, from your truth. It's pushing you into the arms of Jesus. So let's get to the heart of this. To walk in this joy, we need to know assuredly that our God owns all things, causes all things, causes all things to work together for our good, and causes all things to work together for His glory. All things. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And so we can trust our big God with peaceful confidence. In fact, Joy's definition could be the confidence in God. Do we have confidence in our big God? We base our joy on the knowledge of God's character and His great love for us. That's why I was seated here this morning. Because of His great love for us. Sending His Son to die for us. Can we say with Job, though he slay me, not nice words, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job 13, 15 tells us, continual hope in the living God, no matter what's happening here in this plane. We are in training towards Christ-likeness. So to keep ourselves fit for Christ, we need to add to and deepen our understanding of our underlying foundation of God-given joy. So let's consider some biblical facts about it. Again, King David, he just sinned terribly with Bathsheba. And in Psalm 51, he cries out to God for forgiveness. Confesses and acknowledges his sin. He calls for God to purge and cleanse him. 
What a wonderful recipe here for repentance. In the opening uh, lines or verses of Psalm 51. He knows that sin distances God from him and he cannot handle that. And if we go to Psalm 51, you might want to turn there. Psalm 51. And we want to look at a couple of verses. Verse 10. After David crying out in repentance, he says in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. My heart's gone wayward. Father, I want a clean heart, please. Do not cast me away from your presence. That's what sin does. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He was crying out for the very presence of God that he knew before he went astray. And then he says in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. This is a joy David knew before he fell into that sin. God was there for him. The Holy Spirit was there for him. And he's crying out again for that same joy which is departed because of his sin. Notice his desire. His desire was for joy. He knows how important this joy is. The Hebrew word here means a welcoming gladness and exceeding glee. And it draws people to the love of God. The love of God in your heart. The joy of the living God in your heart will draw people to you. Look at verse 13. David knew this. This is what he says. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. When the joy of my salvation or your salvation is, is restored, I will draw people to myself and I will see sinners converted. The impact of God's joy and the influence of His Holy Spirit was vitally important. And David knew that he could not live without it. When we come to James, chapter 1, verse 2, and he says, Count it all joy. That particular word joy there comes from the Greek, meaning an exceeding calm delight and fullness of gladness. Now, I'm sure some of you would remember that kind of joy that entered your heart when you first got saved. I remember Alvera and I, when we first got saved, it was one evening, and we got saved. Well, the next day we were running around Jeffrey's Bay wanting to tell everybody what had happened to us. We were so excited, and they would sort of look stunned at us, you know, but we were just excited. We just kept going. We just wanted everybody to know the joy that we now had in our lives. And that joy and salvation forms a platform in your hearts which gives stability, strength, and a confident foundation. The wonderful fact is that the, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is in us permanently as our helper. And that means we have His spiritual fruit of joy. It's a divine impartation into your life at salvation. Galatians 5.22 how thankful we are. How grateful we are for this wonderful joy. In, in Isaiah 61, in a few verses from there, we see the, the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he's, he's, he's saying through Isaiah that there's a Messiah coming in verses 1 and 2. There's a Messiah coming. And this Messiah that is coming is going to be the anointed one. And he is going to preach good tidings to the poor. He's going to heal the brokenhearted. He's going to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the eyes to, spiritual, to the spiritual realm, and the, op the opening of prison doors to those who are bound. That's the Messiah that's coming. That's what Isaiah is telling the world. And he's coming to comfort all who mourn. 
He's coming to encourage all who mourn. Why are they mourning? Because they're in a hopeless state. They are without God. Their lives are a heap of ashes, it tells us in verse 3. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. Their lives are a crumpled mess. And this Messiah is coming to lift them up, to put them back together, that the oil of joy will enter their lives. Verse 3. The oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what's going to happen. As they turn to the Lord... This joy is going to, and somebody said to me this morning, it's an unfortunate word you've used, explosive. This joy is going to explode in their hearts because they now know that they belong to the living God. And there's there's this garment of praise. There's no more heaviness in their lives. There's there's a, a praise that goes out from their hearts because of the joy of the Lord. Isaiah 35.10 tells us, Oh no, I better just do this again. And the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Hey, I love that song too. The ransomed of the Lord shall return. And they'll come with singing. Why? Because they ransomed. They've been bought out of the slave market. They're no longer bound in the prison. They're just full of joy and it overflows. They shall obtain joy and gladness for sorrow and sighing. No longer will it be in their hearts. And then we go to Isaiah. in, in Psalm 16:11, it tells us that there's fullness of joy in His presence. Well, you all know what happens when you get saved. The presence of the Almighty God through His Spirit enters us in our hearts. And in His presence, there is fullness of joy. In Isaiah 55, we read these words. Verse 11, Isaiah again. The Lord speaking through Isaiah and he's saying, My word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void. There's a powerful, eternal word that goes forth from the very mouth of God. And it shall not return void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the very thing for which I send it. The word of God goes out. Who speaks the word of God? We do. We bring the gospel to a dying world. We are the messengers to bring that gospel message, which is the fullness of joy, which is the fullness of redemption, because of Christ's blood, to the world. And and, and what, what he's saying here is that This powerful word goes out of my mouth. And when there are people out there that respond to it and receive it, verse 12, you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. That's what happens. There's a complete transformation from mourning to joy and to peace. The Word of God tied in with joy. So, without the clear and certain promises of the Word of God, the believer would have no basis for hope. Now, Jerusalem at one point was filled with people who trusted in God. And it was known in those times as the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth. Why? Because these people who knew and trusted in their God, were full of joy. They were full of of the goodness of God. And it drew people, and they looked at Jerusalem and said, it's the perfection of beauty and the joy of the whole earth. What a testimony. But when they rebelled against God, God distanced Himself from them, and we all know what happened. 
Jerusalem lay in ruins. And Jeremiah penned these words when he saw Jerusalem lay, lying in ruins. Lamentations 2.15, he says, All who pass by clap their hands at you, Jerusalem. They hiss and shake their heads. Is this the city that is called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? Is it possible that that city could have been called that? Look at it now. It's lying in ruins. God's testimony is ruined. How sad. The people are turned away from God. In John chapter 15 and verses 10 and 11, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. God's amazing love. Jesus was full, soaked in his Father's love. And what came out of that? A wonderful, eternal joy. And he's saying, my people, those who respond to me, those who are my children, I want this joy that I have to remain in you. And I want that joy to be your fullness. Romans 15.13 tells us, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by power of the Holy Spirit. Well, here Paul, speaking to the Romans, says very clearly, the God of hope, the God of hope must fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Where you see that word believing, what he's saying there is when you have faith, in the living God, when you have faith in Christ, what happens? The kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy, comes into your heart. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul is saying. You are filled with joy and peace, which is a facet of the kingdom of God when you believe. And then you abound in hope through the power of the Spirit. God is the source of eternal hope, of eternal life, and of course, salvation. And this New Testament word, hope, that we find here, contains no uncertainty. It speaks of something that is certain, but not yet realized. And the believer's ultimate destiny is to share in God's glory. 1 Peter 1.8 tells us, Jesus Christ, whom having not seen... You love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. There's your faith. Faith in Christ. Even though you don't see him, you have faith in him. And what does it do? It brings an incredible joy into your hearts. In, in Luke 6.23 I'll just get there. Luke 6.23, Jesus is speaking the Sermon on the Mount here, speaking to his disciples, and he says in verse 22, Blessed are you, happy are you, when men hate you, and when they exclude you. Happy, when men hate you, they push you away, they exclude you. They literally cut themselves off. goes on to say, and when they revile you, when they speak abusively of you and cast out your name as evil, they don't want to know you. They want to ostracize you. Why? For for the Son of Man's sake. Because you've identified with Christ. They want nothing to do with Christ. But Jesus says, in that day, rejoice. Not only that, but leap for joy. Have you ever leapt for joy? You're sharing the gospel and suddenly you leap for joy. It'd be interesting to see what the result would be. Well, for us oldies, it might be broken. (laughs) There goes something. Anyway, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. 
For indeed your reward is great in heaven. We don't look at the moment when all this stuff is happening. But we look ahead and say, boy, thank God. Thank God my reward is in heaven. And joy again. This joy in the suffering, this joy in rejection, this joy in abusive language, this joy in hate, for his sake, wells up. This foundation of joy has laid its salvation deep within us, and we are transformed and translated into God's eternal kingdom. And the realization that death has no hold on us anymore, and the anticipation that we have an eternal destiny in glory with God produces an incredible attitude of joy. In Hebrews 6, verse 18 and 19, we are told that it is impossible for God to lie. And he says that we might have strong consolation, we might have strong encouragement who have fled for refuge. We have fled for protection. We have fled for covering to lay hold of the hope. That is set before us. We're looking to that glorious hope. That glorious hope when we look at all the promises that God has made to us who are saved. The wonderful promises of God in which He cannot lie. In verse 19 it tells us that this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast. It's an anchor. It does not allow your, your spirit, your soul to be pulled or dragged from one point to the next. It anchors you. Nothing can snatch us out of God's hand. What assurance, what confidence, and what encouragement, knowing that our lives in this crumbling world are but a fleeting vapor and glorious eternity awaits us. It is well described by MacArthur, and I want to quote from one of his books. Joy is a happiness based on unchanging divine promises and eternal spiritual realities. It is the sense of well-being experienced by one who knows that all is well between oneself and the Lord. Joy is not the result of favorable circumstances, but occurs even when those circumstances are the most painful and severe 1 Thessalonians 1.6 speaks about that. Joy is a gift from God. And as such, believers are not to manufacture it, but to delight in the blessings they already possess. He quotes Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That rejoicing, that joy is produced by the Holy Spirit. And this joy, which is a facet of God's kingdom is appropriate in the good times, in the times of testing. Joy is a deep abiding inner thankfulness to God for His goodness that is not diminished or interrupted when less than desirable circumstances intrude on one's life. End quote. The balance of that verse 2 of James says we're not, we fall into various trials. Just expanding on that fraction, Peter in his epistle, in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13, tells us, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. This is not something strange. This trial, this suffering, this tribulation that you're going through at this point, don't think it's strange. He goes on to say, But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. There's a very good purpose while we here on earth go through trials, go through suffering, suffering times, go through tribulations. Very good purpose. And we all live in a world where we endure some level of trouble. I don't think there's a single living being in this room tonight or today, this often, this morning, that, that can honestly say that they haven't been through some form of trouble, trial, suffering. We cannot escape criticism. We cannot escape disappointment or frustration. We cannot escape physical or emotional pain. We cannot escape injury 
and in some cases disease. And a lot of that can be caused by our faith. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us, Yes, and all who desire to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not may, will suffer persecution. Just listen to what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. And we're going to look at verses 7, 8, and 9. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But, Paul says to the Corinthian church, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. There's a number of earthen vessels sitting here this morning. And those who are washed in the blood have this treasure inside of them. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul says that for a very good reason. Look at the next verses. We are, we are, we are, together with Paul, hard pressed on every side. You're afflicted. You're harassed. You're grieved. You, you are aggravated on every side. We're living in a world that doesn't want to know God. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. They try to crush, but they cannot crush you. We are perplexed. That word means we are bewildered. We are baffled. We are confounded. We are confused. I think a good word there is bamboozled. We are bamboozled by all the stuff that's coming against us. By what they're feeding us. You just have to watch the news and see what they're feeding the nation. Not only here, but everywhere. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We do not despair. We are persecuted, verse 9. We are abused, we are maltreated, we are bullied, we are victimized. Folks, we might just have a snippet of it today in the place we live. But boy, it's going on around the world to a great degree. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. He tells us he will never leave nor forsake us. He's there with us at all times. We are struck down, but not destroyed. The excellence of the power within you carries you through these times. Carries you through times of suffering. Times when you are perplexed. Times when you are persecuted. Times when you are hard pressed. That you will not be crushed. That you will not be in despair. That you will not be struck down. And that you will not be destroyed. You have the Spirit of God within you that carries you through those times. And if you look at those times and think, I'm going to think about those times, God is doing something. I can think about those times and I can rejoice knowing He knows what He's doing. And His purposes are far greater than my purposes. Verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. And even though we're suffering, and even though we're in trials and tribulations, there's a joy in our hearts that people notice. How can they be like that? You know why? That is a badge of our loyalty to our Savior. That's what it is. A genuine faith will prove itself when trials, these trials come along. They drive us to run boldly to the throne of grace and to the safety of being on our faces in the presence of God and to spend time in deep communion with God. There's nothing like it. Verse 3 of James continues to say, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, or steadfastness, or endurance. Our quest as God's children is Christ-likeness. And the test of our faith is a refining process. I think you've heard this many, many times. You know, the, the metalsmith, he pulls out the metal out of the, the hearth, and it's now red hot, he puts it on the anvil, and he whacks it with a hammer to get rid of the dross. 
Well, God uses these trials, these tribulations to produce endurance or steadfastness in our lives. And this does not imply passive acceptance, but it implies a persistent determination to walk through a trial as a winner, someone who clings tenaciously to God in perfect peace. Can you cling tenaciously to God through thick and thin? If you do, you will find perfect peace. Verse 4 tells us, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we've gone, verse 2, from trials to verse 3, to patience or endurance. And then in verse 4 we see that you be perfected and complete, lacking nothing. The patience and the steadfastness works in us, motivated by the underlying joy in our lives, as we focus on the ultimate goal of Christ-likeness. Jesus is, I mean, this is what it produces, fulfilling God's perfect work, work in us. Jesus himself the author and finisher of our faith. He looked forward, motivated by the joy that was set before him, to endure the cross, to despise the shame, and to sit down at the right hand of the Father in heaven, having paid the price for his bride. He knew what was coming, and yet he looked forward with joy. That torture, that suffering, those terrible trials and tribulations that he went through, he knew he was going to go through them. But he looked over them. He looked, that's momentary. What's coming is eternal joy being with my bride. So in conclusion, as the rugby players train, putting fitness as a primary objective, they know the pain of the running, the physical exercise, and the body strengthening needed to win matches and come out on top. They know that. And of course, not forgetting the honing of their skills to improve the quality of their playing and understanding of the various strategic moves to beat the opposition. The All Blacks are good at that. Why do they do it? Why do they endure the pain? Why do they go through all the hard times of, of, of training? It's because they look towards the joy of holding up the trophy at the end. They look over the momentary pain and trials and, 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 and stress and running and all that because they want to hold up the trophy at the end. And as a Christian, as God's ambassador here, our fitness is an underlying foundation of joy. It's eternal. It bursts onto the scene at salvation. This joy is exciting. It's fulfilling. It keeps us. It draws people to you. And it strengthens us, spurring us on to greater heights through thick and thin, to shine God's light in this dark and depressing world. So folks, look past the momentary pain, the momentary suffering. And I know some trials seem absolutely terrible, and they might go on for a long, long time, maybe even right up until you go. But look past that. Look past the moment, knowing that your mighty God has a very good plan and purpose for that. Look towards the joy of the eternal reward that is coming. Because all that suffering, all that stuff was going to fade into existence if you look and trust your big God for what's coming in the future. True authentic Christianity confronts earth with heaven and brings the eternal to bear on time. And saints... We have eternity in our hearts. We are the message bearers of the powerful gospel which transforms the person's temporary earthly life of captivity and slavery to sin and to darkness to an eternal life of freedom in Christ, light and eternal glory. And so we strengthen and increase the wonderful influence of this foundation of joy in our lives as we grasp the aspects of it feeding the godly confidence it gives us. And the manifestation of this joy is shown in the way we handle the trials or the testing in our lives. And that makes an impact on the unsaved. So, let's rejoice. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for your eternal word. 
we are grateful as we understand and as we take in your eternal word that it changes our lives from one degree of glory to the next. And Father, we sometimes are prone to wonder. We are so easily tempted. We are weak. Sometimes we are worldly. We are wrong-hearted. But Lord, we are great debtors to your mercy and in desperate need of your grace. Your word shows us such a stark contrast between those who come to you in faith and those who refuse. For the faithful, there will be permanent joy, hope, and blessing. And for the faithless, there is nothing to look forward to but hopelessness, judgment, and everlasting punishment. Hold us by your grace, Lord, that we may be counted with the faithful. And we thank you for your precious grace in saving us. You are both the source and the object of our highest joy. And we sing out to you because our hearts cannot contain the gladness of our salvation. And in exalting you, we are lifted even higher. You are our light and our salvation. You are the stronghold and the sanctuary in whom we find refuge. You're, you, you refresh our souls daily with joys we can neither fathom nor fully count. But Lord, we want to bask in the fullness of your joy and find our deepest delight in the sunshine of your glory. I thank you, Lord, for this body of believers. I thank you, Lord, for this pulpit which preaches truth Sunday after Sunday. I thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing right here. May many come in because of the joy in the hearts of your people as they see them handling trials and tribulations with a joy that bubbles forth because of their salvation that many might ask the question, what's different? Why? And that you have an opportunity, that they have an opportunity to share your good news. We thank you, Lord. Amen.